You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We're doing a sermon series right now, micro-sermon series until we get to baptism called Awake and Alive. And really the idea behind it is that because of Easter, we can be awake to the realities of life. Because of Easter, we can be awake to God's Holy Spirit in our life. Because of Easter, we don't have to walk through life asleep. We can have a, a categorically, fundamentally different life because Easter happened. Oftentimes we come together and we celebrate this thing, but it's not like, you know, some of these other holidays where we're just trying to remember something that happened, we're saying that this Easter resurrection is the pinnacle of human history. Everything changes after this, but we often never, we never often talk about what the, what the, what the ramifications are. Why should it make a difference in our life? So I'm calling this Awake and Alive, a call to light and life as always. If you have any questions, feel free to send them. I'd love to make this as much of a dialogue as possible. So send those. One of my questions last week I didn't answer was I had coffee in here, but somebody was like, is that Dr. Pepper? And it was, and it was coffee. And as you can tell, I've already drank a whole cup. So I'm ready to go, but I'll take any questions, any questions, because I want to know where you are, and I want to know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. I prepared a message that I think the Holy Spirit wants us to hear, but you also have in your own faith journey. So let's use it that way. It'll be on the bottom of each screen as well. But what are the implications of Easter? Well, they're big. We want to talk about that so we can get a handle on what's going on. What can we expect? What is new? What does Christ call us to? And so last week was all about waking up, that we can be awake in life because of the light of Christ that shines on us, Ephesians chapter 5. Today we're talking about light and life, light and life. You got a Bible? Bust it out. But it'll also be on the screen if you don't want to read the book. That's fine, too. Uh, the screen has some things that I bolded and emphasized, so you don't get that in the book. But 2 Timothy chapter 1, this is on page 908. We are turning over there. One passage today, 18, 8 through 14. So if you're on 908, it's on the bottom right-hand column, all the way at the bottom. The heading says, don't be ashamed because of the testimony. Again, on the screen, it says this, So don't be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord or of me. This is the Apostle Paul writing to this church, particularly one guy named Timothy, his protege, his disciple, who's in this city of Ephesus, which is covered in idols and pagan worship. They are... Um, it is the epicenter of religion in the ancient world. It has one of the great... Eight Wonders of the World, the Temple of Artemis or Diana, depending on. And so he's writing to his disciple who's leading a church in this city of Ephesus. Paul is an old man. He is uh, close to, to the end of his life. And so this is some real wisdom for us. He says, sorry, don't be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord or of me, his prisoner. Paul is in prison. Paul is in prison, but he doesn't say he's Nero's prisoner. He says he's Jesus's prisoner. It's an interesting way to frame suffering and persecution. He's in prison, but he's in a Roman prison, but he's Jesus's prisoner. He says, instead, share the suffering for the good news. Depending on God's power, 
God is the one who saved and called us with a holy calling. I don't have time to get into this in my sermon either. But not only does God save you, but God also gives you a holy calling, a purpose. We talked about that on Easter too. So not only are you saved, but you're called to something holy. He goes on. This wasn't based on what we have done, but it is based on his own purpose and grace that he gave us in Christ Jesus before time began. This was always God's plan to reveal God's plan through and in Jesus Christ since the beginning of time, this grace. Verse 10, now his grace is revealed through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus. He destroyed death and he brought life and immortality into light or clear focus through the good news. Good news meaning gospel. Paul says, I was appointed a messenger, apostle, and teacher of the good news. This is also why I'm suffering the way that I do, but I'm not ashamed. I know the one in whom I place my trust. I'm convinced that God is powerful enough to protect what he has placed in my trust until that day. Hold on. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Protect. Guard is the word there. This good thing that has been placed in your trust through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Jesus Christ has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. That is our good news. And if that is the good news of Easter, then what is the bad news? The bad news is that there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of darkness. Here's Luke with his Yoda backpack. And the darkness is seductive. Like we could say darkness and we're like, ooh, yeah, yucky darkness. But, but, the tricky thing about darkness, right, Luke says, is the dark side stronger? No, but it's quicker and it's easier and it's more seductive. We, there's so much darkness in the world and not just in the world. We're not one of these churches that just points to all the bad stuff out there because we fully recognize that our own hearts carry the same amount of potential for darkness. All the evil you see in the world is present in our own hearts and lives. And so we got to wrestle. If we're going to wrestle the darkness, we start here, right, in our own hearts Jesus came to bring life and immortality to light, but there's such seductive darkness all around us. You know what grows in the darkness? This looks like a beautiful like topographical map. It is mold on cream cheese. You know what grows in the darkness? The damp, dark, warm seductiveness of darkness molds. I learned that mold um, is not photosynthetic like regular plants. You know, the, the plants take in sunlight and turn it into food through the electron transport chain. Did you know that? I'm sure you all remember that. I'm sure you all remember that. Pretty basic fact we all know. <laughs> uh, mold is not, does not need sunlight to grow. In fact, oftentimes sunlight is harmful to mold because of the UV light and the, and the, and the heat the stuff that grows in the darkness and the secrecy and the warmth and the seductiveness of all that darkness. But Jesus' Easter resurrection brings life and immortality to light. Jesus calls us to light, but the darkness can be so warm and there's stuff that grows there. And we do need mold. Mold's not bad. It destroys dead things. But you don't want to be dead. And I don't want you to live a life like a dead thing that's being consumed by mold. We can wait for all that. Uh, I watched a show 
called The Last of Us. And if you don't know about it, you're holier than I am. Because, but there was a show about zombies. Uh, and I stayed up and watched it when my wife fell asleep. And I gave her nightmares while she was sleeping next to me. But one of the things that's interesting about this zombie show is that they're not regular zombies. The premise is that mushrooms, fungus, mold has got into them. And they're like mushroom zombies. And if you don't know about this, I don't have time to get into it, but it's real world scary. Um, but this is kind of what they look like, which is creepy. But also in the middle of that show, there's this rebel band, this rebel group called the Fireflies. And they write this phrase everywhere that I thought was helpful. And I feel like this is what Paul is saying. I feel like this is what Jesus' good news gospel is saying. It says, when you're lost in the darkness, look for the light. When you're lost in the Humans are born in the darkness. But Jesus has brought life and immortality to light. In the middle of all that darkness that we have in our own hearts, in the middle of all that darkness we're walking through in the world, right, that valley of the shadow of death, there's a light that Jesus wants us to have because of Easter. Jesus has light for us. He's called us to it. And Paul gives us some clues, some stepping stones about how to step into the light. And that's today's message. Head, heart, hands, as always. What does God want us to know, feel, and do with our head, our heart, and our hands so that we have a holistic faith that moves from here to here to here so nothing gets stuck and mold doesn't grow on it, but it's free-flowing, and it flows uh, to us and through us and into the world. And so I always ask those questions when I come to text. What does God want us to know? What is it, when I read the passage like we just read, what does God want us to feel? There's feeling words or experiential words. And what does God want us to do with it? This is what was striking me this week when I'm talking about Easter resurrection. What does God want us to know? That life and light grows when we're grounded in the gospel and grace. Pretty basic Christianity stuff, but we got to get into it. Light and life grow. The thing that we want to grow grows when we are grounded in gospel and grace. Look what he says. Now his grace, the Father's grace, is revealed through the appearance of our Savior, Christ Jesus, he destroyed death and brought life and immortality into clear focus. The word there is light. In Greek, it's photizo, pho, like phosphorescent. We get it. Through the good news. Good news there is a Greek word called euangelion. It just means gospel. You've heard the word gospel. Sometimes they translate it good news. Same idea. Gospel or good news. Paul says, I was appointed messenger, apostle, and teacher of that gospel. Twice now he's mentioned gospel. Connected it to grace. We got to get into it. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? You go to, there's 60 churches in Orville, and I think we would all have a tinge of difference on what gospel is. And so I'm going to tell you from the tradition and the study and the scholars that I've read what I think it is. And I, I think it's something bigger than we normally make it, though it doesn't exclude what we normally make it. What we usually say is something like, Jesus took our place on the cross so that we can go to heaven when we die. That Jesus took our punishment, took on our sins so that we can go to heaven. And I'm not going to say that that's wrong. I think that's true. But I don't think that that's what the Bible means in totality when it talks about gospel. And if we boil it down to that, we miss out on a lot of what the Bible's trying to talk to us about when it says the word good news or gospel. That is good news. I hope to see you all in heaven. But there's more to it, right? Not only are we saved, Paul said, but there's a holy calling. There's more to this thing. 
One chapter later, in the same book that we just read, Paul says the word gospel again, and this is what he says. Remember Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. This is my good news. This is my good news. This is my gospel, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So the gospel has to at least include Easter morning. Sometimes we talk about the gospel in such a way that it's only cross. And if it's only cross, if it's only about Jesus dying in our place on the cross, then you don't need Easter morning. Easter has to mean something. And for Paul, he says, this is my gospel. That Jesus is raised from the dead. doesn't even mention the cross, except tacitly in connection to death. There's something more happening in the word gospel. When in doubt, I always like to go back to Jesus. Jesus defines the gospel for us. Mark chapter 1, the first things Jesus says in this, in this gospel account of Mark. Jesus came to Galilee announcing God's good news, the gospel. And he said, now is the time. The kingdom of God has come near. Change your hearts and minds so that you can believe this gospel, this good news. What is Jesus' gospel? That God's kingdom has come near. Now we have more questions than answers, right? What is the gospel? God's kingdom has come near. Okay, well, what does that mean? If I were summing it up, I would sum it up like this. In and through Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, God is becoming king again. God is taking back over creation to become king again. That God created a good creation, looked at it and us, called it good, and then we broke it. And, God, and we tried to make it into our own image and likeness, and we tried to control it, and we tried to do it our own way. And God's saying, I'm taking back over. I'm becoming in charge again. And it's going to look like Jesus. And it's in and through Jesus that I'm becoming king again. In and through Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, I'm becoming king again. That God's desire and design for creation is coming to fruition. That God, how God originally wanted this world to be, that's how God is now stepping into history and into the picture to make it back that way again. But we call it now new creation. And on Easter morning, Jesus' resurrection began a revolution that is starting new creation. And we get to live in the in-between of old creation and new creation. You really have the hardest job here of holding the tension between these creations. But God is making all things right, new, and good again because he's taken back over and becoming king. Gospel is it's more than Jesus' death. It looks more like the king is coming. I got a bunch of movies for us because we know exactly what this looks like. You ever seen Lion King? The opening song? How does it go? Uh, and all the animals are like, and it's green, and there's birth, and there's a new baby, and there's a new king. That is euangelion. When there would be new kings born, they would send out these gospel letters. There's a new king born. There's a baby. We have a new heir that's here. This is, this is gospel. But then it gets broken because Scar takes over the evil one, and everything's yucky and gray, and it rains, but nothing grows. But when the king returns, look at it, thriving, better than before. Look at it. Where are all those trees at? Simba comes. Gospel. That's gospel. You think I'm done? No, my favorite Disney. This is Robin Hood, right? Naughty, Nottingham. The best. Look at raining, miserable, awful. Why? Because the bad king, Prince John, is on the throne. When does everything get better? Robin Hood plays a part in it, but it's really when King Richard shows up. 
he comes back and everything's beautiful and there's a wedding. The Bible constantly talks about this thing that Jesus is doing as a wedding and these stories are just playing off the Jesus story. Everything's, look how colorful it is. Look at, would you rather live there or there? There, of course. You think I'm done? No. This is Lord of the Rings. That is a city called Gondor. And they, are, they've been, they haven't had a king forever. And now they're getting sieged and destroyed. And the movie's called... The return of the king. They what? Gospel. Good news. It's the 20th anniversary. I, I'm going to show you a clip from it. And I was like, this still looks really good. It's 20 years old. Here's a clip of when the new king is crowned. Here we go. Take it or leave it. Together we build this world that we may share in the days of the future. It's gospel. This is gospel. This is biblical gospel. Hey, the king showed up again. And you were expecting a man. You were expecting a man like King David, but it turns out it's God. That in and through Jesus Christ, God is becoming king of God's creation. Again, it's going to look a little different than you thought, a little less violent, a little more letting weeds grow like a kingdom that sprouts up through the concrete. But the gospel good news that brings light and life is the story of Jesus. His life, teachings, death, and resurrection, and his ascension. That Jesus has become king of creation again. This is gospel. The king's returned. Again, you live in that tension of the dark place and the light place, and that's why we gather here together to remind ourselves that the light place is real and it's good and it's coming and we're all working towards that and we head back out into the dark place a little bit, but with the hope, with the hope that the king will become fully reigning over this creation. If I could use one of my favorite scholars, this is Scott McKnight, Bible scholar, and he sums up what the word gospel means for us in a short clip, and he says the same thing about eight times. My apologies, but I'm going to hammer it into our heads. This is Dr. Scott McKnight. The earliest Christian gospel was to tell the story of Jesus. So the gospel was first and foremost to tell the story of Jesus. It wasn't to tell the story of how to get saved, although this story saved people. It was instead, it was to tell the story about Jesus. 
Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Lord is the central gospel affirmation of the New Testament. Thank you, Dr. McKnight. And so if you could sum up the gospel for Christians in three words in Scripture, it was Jesus is Lord. This is why Paul says in, in Romans 10 and other places that when you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you will be saved. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. Presidents of the United States are not Lord. Satan is not Lord anymore. I am not the Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's gospel. That's gospel. Not that God took away these things from your life called sins and then you have to wait around for 60 years and hopefully when you go to heaven, he's like, okay, good enough. Come on in. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. How do we access this gospel light in life? How do we get into it? How do we really step into this lordship, this kingship of Jesus in a way that makes a meaningful difference for us? Grace. 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 What does grace mean? God is the one who saved and called us with a holy calling. This wasn't based on what we have done, but it was based on his own purpose and grace that he gave us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now his grace is revealed through Jesus Christ. This is our gospel. What is grace? If you've been around church long enough, you know it. You could probably sum it up like this. It's unmerited. What? Oh, did I stump you? What is it? Unmerited? I can't hear. Favor. That's right. So sorry. These air conditionings are louder than I thought. Unmerited favor. Sometimes how we boil this down, which means God has done something to you good, but based on nothing that you've done. It's unmerited. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do, but God is giving you some kind of favor. But I want to go, what does that mean? Let's go another level deeper. What does unmerited favor mean? In our traditions, in the traditions that I follow, we sometimes sum it up like this. Grace is the presence and power of God in your life. Not just that God looks at you and thinks kind things about you, but that God is actively involved in your life in a way that empowers you and encourages you and equips you. We see it in this text. The text we just read, God didn't give, oh, right before that in verse 7, God didn't give you a spirit of, of timidity, of fear, but one that is powerful. Next verse, share in the suffering of the gospel depending on God's power. Last verse that we read, we can do all of this through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Grace is God's presence and power in your life. And there's a lot of things that we, we talk about as means of grace, the, the way that God channels God's presence and power in your life. So the gospel is that God is becoming king again in and through Jesus Christ. And the way we step into that, that kingdom, that good news, is through grace. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't do anything except receive it. God pours it on you through faith, right, through trust that Jesus is Lord. And we get the presence and power of God in our life. We're still in point one, y'all. I'm so sorry. Let me wrap this up. Grace is the presence and power of God in your life given freely to you. What does God want us to feel? What's that second point, that heart point, that experience? There's a bunch of fear language in here. Paul says, reject shame, embrace suffering. I always like to prove what I'm saying here. Don't be ashamed. 
because of the testimony about the Lord, the story of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the story of Jesus. Share the suffering for the gospel depending on God's power. The world does this opposite. See, he says, reject shame, embrace suffering. The world embraces shame and rejects suffering. It's a dark place. We're trying to step into the light. The, Lord, the world embraces shame and rejects suffering. Maybe he's suffering. Suffering. Also suffering. Maybe you've seen this uh, website. It's called Passenger Shaming, where they, make, they shame people on airplanes. I don't know how you all feel about this. Listen, it's a group of people. There could be different opinions. We could disagree about this. But they're trying to shame people into better behavior. I don't know how you feel about that. Would you be okay with that? <laughs> this woman was like shaving the skin off her heels. Is that okay? Is that okay? With that like air circulation going on, you're just like, breathe it in. <laughs> Trying to watch a little TV and somebody just flips their hair over the back of your seat. I got more. Somebody brings their, their service peacock. Would you be, I thought, I was like, you know what? That's a good story. Sometimes I might be uncomfortable for a good story. People needing to do some yoga in the middle of... Like, it doesn't hurt me, but I'm a little annoyed. You know what I mean? We, like, it only bothers me in that I'm bothered by it, right? But still, I'm like, come on. We all can't do that. And so since we all can't do that, you shouldn't do that, right? That's how my brain works sometimes. Um, I just typed shameful into Google News, and here were some of the things that came up. There's shameful things happening in Brooklyn. He should be ashamed of himself based on how he played basketball, uh, the government isn't doing enough to end shameful inequality in whatever field that was in. I read some of these articles, but unimportant. Somebody shaming a uh, country based on the way they treat gay folks. Uh, shameful figures reveal homeless death. Our world is more and more embracing shame as a tool to try to control other people. And really the threat is disconnection at the end of it. That if you don't feel bad enough about that behavior... We're not going to be able to hang out anymore. Friends, family, society. We are bringing shame back in a major way as a tool. And we do it to ourselves. We do it to ourselves. We shame ourselves, right? We, we, we have drank the Kool-Aid of cultural shame, and we shame ourselves. I caught myself doing it this morning to myself. And Paul says, throw shame in the trash. Reject it. Don't let people make you ashamed, especially of following Jesus, especially of this, the cross, especially of your low status in society. In fact, he'll go so far to say in Romans chapter 8, in Christ now there is no condemnation. Throw the shame away. But, okay, throw shame away, particularly around life circumstances. Sometimes we play this game, if God is so good, why? Is my life like this? Why did this happen? And so maybe we're trying to shame God a little bit in that situation, but ultimately I think it turns it back onto ourselves. What did I do wrong that my life did this or that thing happened or God took me down in this place? And Paul says, get rid of all of that. These people were experiencing poverty, imprisonment, persecution, and it was a way for the culture to try to shame them into giving up Jesus. And he says, reject that circumstance-based shame that the world is bringing 
to you. One of my favorite scholars, Ben Witherington, out of, out of uh, Asbury, Kentucky. The logic of what Paul is saying is this. If one has eternal life in Christ, why should we fear suffering or death of this mortal form of existence? Don't let shame control you. You have eternal life. Life and immortality has been brought to life in Jesus Christ. You shouldn't be worried or fearful about shame. But even more than not being worried or fearful about it, he says, change your mind. He says, embrace it. Share the suffering. Share the suffering. Another version says, do I have it? I don't have it. Share the suffering, he says. Finding light and life in the gospel feels like death and dying in a suffering world, a death and suffering in the world. But in Jesus, it's light and life. Pain and suffering in the hands of God makes us strong. Hear me out. I'm not saying God did that to you. I'm not saying God brought you to that place that hurt you. That's not the theology we have here. But I am saying that when in the hands of God, he will redeem our pain and suffering in a way that brings about good and strength. I always think about it like, like, like going to the gym. You're suffering on purpose so you can become strong later. And Jesus is saying, that's exactly what I'm saying. Reject shame. Embrace suffering. This is going to make us strong in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good, he says. Share it. Why? It makes us strong. My kids and I went on a hike yesterday, and they're to the age where they complain about everything. <laughs> this one's about my daughter. She was just like, my legs hurt. My legs are hurting, Dad. And I said, you know what? Your legs hurting today is a future gift for yourself. It's a gift for your future self, I said. You'll thank yourself later. That's Paul saying embrace suffering. Embrace it. Put it in the hands of God. Don't waste it. Don't let it bring you to a place of shame. Embrace it. And God, it strengthens us. It strengthens our spiritual life and reliance on God's power. Look, right? Uh, don't be ashamed about the testimony. He says that this is why I'm suffering the way that I do. But I'm not ashamed. He's in prison, right? for preaching the gospel. I know the one in whom uh, I placed my trust, and I'm convinced that God is powerful enough to protect, that he is placed in my trust until that day. Don't be ashamed. Don't let shame make you take the hard stuff of life and turn it against you and bring about more shame. He's like, no. Learn to suffer well. And learning to suffer well is about rejecting shame and letting God use pain points to empower us, to help us rely more deeply on God's power in our life. Lastly, what does God want us to do with this? If I sound like a broken record, it's because Paul sounds like a broken record. It's all about Jesus' story. Jesus' story is not just something that we read about in a book, but live out in our daily lives. Look what he says. He says, all this, Jesus brought all this light to life and immortality and the clear focus through the gospel, through that story, through his, his story. I loved what Scott McKnight said. It's not a story about how to get saved, but this story saves people. I love that line. It's all about the story. And he says, hold on. Hold on. What does God want us to do? Hold on. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. Hold on to what? Hold on to that story. Hold on to this faithful story that we told you about with Jesus. His life, teachings, death, resurrection, and ascension. Hold on to it. Protect this good thing that has been placed in your trust through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
What does God want us to do with gospel, with grace, with suffering, with shame? <laughs> How do we step into that in a way that rejects shame and allows suffering to empower us? How do we do? He says you've got to hold on to the central story of Jesus. All about Jesus. Hold on to the story. Protect it. This is, for Christians, the story that defines our entire reality. The world and our life and our families and our jobs. Everything gets defined and refined through the story of Christ. Have you ever heard about this? This came out in 2020. It was called main character syndrome. It's not a real syndrome. It was just a way for people to shame other people. Uh, always to shame other people. But some people, they discovered in 2020 walk around thinking that they're the main character of their life. That life is like a movie and they just walk around thinking that they are the main character. They said there's four hallmarks of, of this kind of living. That you need to be the center of attention all the time. That you and your problems and your issues need to be the center of discussion every time you get with your friends and family. And you just like everything to be about you. Or you spend extra energy on presenting your life in the best light possible. You're ready for your close-up, right, all the time. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's just the ways that you tell stories to your friends and family. Number three, a hallmark is that you treat other people. Oh, no, you're not good at taking criticism, which I always listen. I'm not good at taking criticism sometimes, too, but if it's a problem... This might be a problem for you. And the last one is, is that you treat people like they're background actors to your story. That other people, other human beings made in the image of God are really just supporting characters for your movie. Not a great syndrome to have. You know there's two ways in which I think this really applies to me. Sometimes when I'm walking around with my headphones on, it feels like a little soundtrack to my life. And I'm just like, you all are just background act, Not you. This is me walking through... <laughs> This is me walking through Chico State campus. I'm like, I don't know any of these human beings. They must just be actors in my little background story. It does not help that I got like the best tunes just like bopping through my ears, you know? Like, whopper, 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 whopper. Why is that song so good? The other one is when I'm, I know if you don't get it, that's fine. The other one is when I'm cooking. I cook almost every night and I act like I'm on a TV show. I'm like, first you got to dice up the little garlic and you chit, 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 chit. Get your aromatics going, but not too long. You don't want to burn those in the oil. And like, I act like I'm on a TV show when I'm cooking every night. No one knows, just me and just, you're going to want to julienne these carrots. Sometimes I think I'm the main character to my own movie. And what Paul is trying to get at here in this dumb, funny way is that most of us live our life like this. Like they we're the main character of our own story. And even, God forbid, we make Jesus a background actor in our own life story. Super helpful when we, just there when we need him, like a good best friend, but then, you know, we could put him away or ignore him most of the time. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. Hold on, guard it, protect it. This is the story. Our stories revolve around this story, the gospel. The story of Jesus is where we find ourselves and where we find our story. We're not the main character in our own little movies. Jesus is, and we're revolving our story around that, that our lives 
our actions, our work, our families, our careers are being refined and defined through the story of Christ. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So how do we wake up? How do we wake up? We make Jesus' story the center of our story, where he defeats death and brings life and immortality to light. And we don't have to do this on our own. In fact, we just talked about grace. You're not doing this in your own power. He says, protect this good thing that has been placed in your trust through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in you is the one who's going to help you, is the one who's going to help you make Jesus' story the center of your life. And with that, I'm looking for questions, and I see absolutely zero questions. So I must have explained it all perfectly. Good news. Because of the cross and resurrection, we can come awake to new life and light in Jesus Christ, but the mold of sleep and death grows in the darkness, and the darkness is seductive and warm, and we want to be there, but Jesus has light for us and calls us into light. And that life and light is, grows when we are grounded in the gospel and grace of Jesus. And when we are grounded in the gospel and grace of Jesus, we can reject shame and shame-based approaches to our life and embrace the empowerment of suffering when we place that pain in God's hands. And all of that is because through the help of the Holy Spirit, we can make Jesus' story the center of our own story. And with that, would you pray with me? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for Paul's letter to Timothy where he gives us this insight into life and immortality. Father, I suspect each and every one of us is here because we have seen the darkness. We've felt it. We've tasted it. And we are trying to find the light. And we're here because we think that light is in you. Would you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit every day to take steps more and more into that life and immortality that you've shown your light on? And would you, would you do that through your grace? Help us. We can't do it on our own, not in our own power. We need your help. Would you give us your presence and power to help center your story as a center of our own life story? And as we see you do that in our life, shine more light, help refine and define our story in a way that brings more life and less death, we would be, we will be sure to give you all praise and thanks. Table Church, as we head into communion, would you help me finish this prayer, saying the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom.